Likuti Sikha is Chelik Tazayin, Volume 16, the fifth Sikha for Parsha Mishpatim. This is a very easy to understand Rashi Sikha, with many Klolim and Rashi, which we're already well familiar with. At the end is an amazing insight, um, more kind of like on a esoteric level, and then a very practical hira, very practical directive. It's very, very worthwhile in order to be able to really flow through the Sicha to review the verses that pertain to this Sicha that apply here. And that is in chapter 24, Shmois Chavdalid, from Pasik Yud Beis, from Pasik verse 12, through the end of the Parsha, okay, which is Pasik 18. Basically, over there, it gives us a description of what happened after. Matan Torah, after Hashem appeared in Harsinai, and now Moshe is going back up to the mountain, this time it is to receive the Luchais, to receive the tablets. Just two general concepts which uh, I believe we're familiar with, but let's just go over it again. The idea of something coming, Milmailo Lamata, from high, from above, down, meaning the effect is not coming from the below, but it's being, so to speak, put on the mata, put on the lower element from above, meaning like a revelation from godliness onto the earth. Another thing is the four different uh, categories in this world that the world is divided into, which is doimeim, tzimeach, chai, imedaber. Doimeim is the inanimate, tzimeach is like plant life, vegetation, and chai is any living thing, and of course medaber is the human being. Of course, the the doimim, the inanimate, is the lowest. So if we look into the, let's get into the sikha. If you look into the last passage, the last verse of our parsha, that is chapter 24, verse 18, it says, Moshe came into the Onan. Now, Onan typically means a cloud. And he went up to the mountain, he ascended, Har Sinai, and Vayahi Moshe Bahar, and Moshe was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Of course, it doesn't say it here, but we know that culminated with him receiving the Luchas. So Rashi has a Dibur Hamaschila heading on the words, in the, quote, cloud, in the cloud. And he says the following, this, this, quote, cloud, it's a type of Oshan, smoke. It really means smoke. And Hashem made for Moshe a path so he was able to pass through the smoke. Of course, the questions are, number one, what was difficult here? Why does Rashi feel compelled to explain anything in the first place? It says he came in the Anan. Why does he have to explain it? Number two, we know that an Anan, which typically means a cloud, and Ashan, which means smoke, are inherently two opposites, two different things. Cloud, a cloud is a water-based thing. It comes from water. Ashan, which is smoke, comes from fire. So how does Anun, how does clouds, or quote-unquote quote-unquote cloud, how does it come here to mean Ashan? How does Rashi come to this conclusion? Another thing, another question, we know this is not, quote, the first time that Moshe is entering a thick cloud. In fact, when you look back in Parshas Yisrael, you look in, for example, Perek Chav, chapter 20, verse 18, where it describes over there 
that Moshe Nichnas Litoicha Harafel. Moshe not only went into a cloud, but to a thick, heavy cloud, and he went in to the inner circle of the Shechina. So why over here does Rashi feel a need? Why does he feel compelled to explain, you know, how Moshe was able to go through, and therefore he tells us that Hashem created a path for him? Why is this necessary? Well, the explanation of this is as follows. The question that, that, that arises here is when you look in verse 15, remember this Rashi is on verse 18. So you look several verses preceding this verse, it already says, Vayichas ha'onon es ha'or, that the cloud covered up the entire mountain. So from this it's understood, and therefore it doesn't need to be mentioned, as it would be superfluous to say, but that when Moshe did go up to the mountain, when Moshe did attempt to ascend, that he had to cut through a cloud, because it already says that the whole mountain was covered in a cloud. And therefore the question arises here, why does the Pasik have to tell us specifically that Moshe went into the cloud? And therefore, Rashi understood that this is talking about something else. This is not the cloud that we mention in verse 15, but rather in verse 18, when it mentions the word cloud, it has to mean something else, because if not, it would be superfluous, it would be totally unnecessary, and if it's unnecessary and it's superfluous, the Torah would not say it. And therefore, Rashi continues, what is this cloud? If it's not your typical cloud, and it's not the cloud which is above mentioned, then Rashi tells us this quote, cloud is not really a cloud, but it's a type of smoke. It was actual smoke. Meaning, whenever it says cloud, Rashi doesn't feel compelled to explain what it is. Everybody knows what a cloud is. But when it says it here, that's where Rashi is, uh, that's where Rashi feels the need, he feels compelled to explain that it means Asham. Now, what, however, forced Rashi, what compelled him to explain that it means like a cloud. In other words, how did he know this? He knows that it's not your typical anon, it's not your typical cloud, but how does he know that it means, I mean, uh, smoke? Where did he come to that conclusion? Well, the answer is, if you look in verse 17, the verse preceding this verse, what does it say over there? It says, Umare kvoid Hashem, and the appearance of Hashem's honor, ke'esh oicheles b'roi shahar, like a consuming fire at the top of the mountain. Now, if you look at the sequence of the verses, what this verse, if it was talking about just a general description of what the mountain looked like, this verse is in the wrong place. It should have been actually before verse 16. Because in verse 16 it says, And Hashem called to Moshe. Now typically, the way the Torah describes things, first it describes the setting, right? In its entirety, it gives you a description for whatever reason we, we would need to know in that moment, in that narrative, exactly what the mountain looked like with all the details, the Torah first describes all of that, and then the Torah tells us what happened there. So with follow the, following this, the logic would be that first the Torah should describe that the mountain was entirely, entirely covered by a, by, a, by a cloud, and then that there was the, um, the honor of Hashem, Hashem's presence appeared itself like a fiery consuming fire, and so a consuming fire and so on, and then tell us that Hashem called to Moshe and he ascended. 
Why is it here? Why does it appear here? It seems to be fragmented. First it tells us somewhat of a description of the mountain. Then it tells us that Hashem called to Moshe. And then it returns to a description of the mountain, telling us that the presence of Hashem appeared as a consuming fire. Rashi understood this to be an indicator of what's coming next. In other words, Rashi understood that the reason why the Torah puts this seemingly out of order, out of place, is because the Torah is trying to describe to us that in the Pasik, following this, in the preceding verse, when it's going to say that Moshe came into an Anan, that it doesn't mean the Anan which was previously mentioned, but rather it means an Anan which is a result of this, quote, consuming fire. The consuming fire that, that is on top of the mountain. And this helps us understand another thing. The question is, why does it have to say consuming fire? Why didn't it just say a fire? Why didn't it just say a fire? Because the answer is, we already know, we already have precedent, that when there's a fire which represents Hashem's presence, it doesn't necessarily consume. It doesn't consume at all. For example, we have this snap, the burning bush, which was not that long ago. And Moshe sees a fire but doesn't consume anything. Over here, the point is that this anon, this, quote, cloud is not a cloud, rather it's a smoke. Now, how do you generate smoke? Only through a consuming fire. When there is a fire that's superficial, or like a godly fire that's not consuming anything, there's no smoke. At the snap, the burning bush, there was no smoke. Here, there was smoke. And that's what compelled Rashi to explain to us that Hashem made a path for him. Now that we've come to the conclusion that A, there was a consuming fire which now results in us needing to explain the word Anon not to mean cloud, rather to mean some sort of smoke. Now we need to understand, wait, if there was smoke, then, then, why did, then how did Moshe go through it? If you were talking about a cloud, we understand. Moshe went through the cloud. He went through the cloud of Matan Torah and nothing happened. But if this is smoke, which is like we said, a result of a consuming fire, something's being burnt, typically when there's smoke, there's soot. And if there's soot, you become dirty. If you go through that fire, you don't come out clean. And it would seem odd that Moshe would go to receive the Luchas. He would go to be in the presence of Hashem all dirty, all full of soot, it wouldn't make sense. That's why Rashi was compelled to explain to us after pointing out that Anan, that quote cloud, doesn't mean a cloud, but it means smoke, which is a result of that previous verse, which is the consuming fire. Therefore, Rashi tells us Hashem made a special path, and therefore we understand that Moshe was not affected by the smoke. He did not become filthy from the soot. There's still one question remains. If this was an actual smoke, then number one, why does Rashi tell us it was kimin asham, a type of smoke? It was not exactly a smoke, but like smoke. And of course, the obvious question, why doesn't the Torah tell us directly that it was smoke? Why does it call it anon? It calls it cloud, but it means asham, but it means smoke. Why didn't you just say it directly? The answer is, because this smoke, this fire, quote-unquote, was on the top of the mountain. It says in the Pasuk, it was Bereshahar. Now, we all know that on top of a mountain, especially in that terrain, 
in that geography, there is really no plants, there's no vegetation, there's no trees, and there's nothing for really for a fire to burn and to consume. Typically, a fire does not burn stone. It does not burn the, the, the actual stone of the mountain, the bedrock. It has nothing to grab onto and nothing to really consume. So this was something exceptional. This is not typical. And therefore, the question would be, how is there smoke? How is there really smoke? There's nothing, for, there's nothing really to be burnt in. There's nothing really to be consumed. It's a consuming fire generating smoke, but from what? And therefore, Rashi explains, it's kemin ashan. It's a kind of, it's like a smoke. And that's why the Pasik itself doesn't directly say it's smoke because it wasn't real, typical, actual smoke. It was like it. And therefore it says, in a euphemism, it calls it onon, it calls it a cloud. Now from the Yena Shaltoida, we always know that the Rebbe says in the Rashi, there's always the deeper, the, the deeper dimension, the esoteric, the, what we call the wine of Torah, just like wine brings out the inner secrets and the inner, inner flavor. So he says, when it, in reference to Matan Torah, we find twice a mention of smoke. In Matan Torah itself, it says, Bahar Sinai Ashen If you look in Parshas Yisrael, chapter 19, verse 18, it says the entire mountain of Sinai was engulfed in smoke because of the presence of Hashem that came down in fire. That's there. Over here, it says, Moshe came in to quote the cloud, which, like we explained, means smoke. What does smoke come from? There's, so there's a contrast, right? So let's understand this. What does smoke come from? How do you generate smoke? So we said before, when you have a consuming fire, and the truth is that when a fire consumes something, the more refined that matter is, the less smoke you're going to have. Think, for example, when you have a wick burning, um, uh, consuming olive oil, okay? It's burning something, but it is so refined, it is so pure that there's absolutely no smoke. You don't see any smoke. Now think when, you, when you're burning a very thick, heavy log, now you have more smoke. Something that is very dirty, very, you know, real heavy garbage, there you're going to have even more smoke. In other words, the more coarse something is, the more smoke, thicker the smoke is going to be. It's going to generate more smoke. And from this you can understand that by looking at the smoke, you can tell what is being consumed here, what is being burned. Says the Rebbe, just like this is in Gashmias, in, in, in the material, in the physical, so too it's also in the spiritual. That when you see, when there's a revelation of the fire from above, what is the purpose of this revelation? In order to, quote, consume, to do away with the arrogance, the coarseness of the world. And this is the difference between these two episodes, Matan Torah smoke, and then the smoke later when Moshe comes up afterwards to receive the Luchas. By Matan Torah itself, the revelation was Milmailo Lamata. In other words, it was almost like forced upon. It came, Hashem forced himself, so to speak, upon the earth and revealed himself. The earth itself, the matter of the earth, the Gashmis of the world, the Yeshus of the world was not yet refined. And therefore, it was a thick, thick, heavy smoke. No one was able to enter. No one, nothing was able to enter because it was an all-consuming, so it was just burning things, but everything was coarse. However, in our Parsha, we are already after Matan Torah. We are ready at a point where Moshe Rabbeinu is being summoned. He's being called up to now receive the Luchais. And now the world already began its process 
of purification. It began to be a little more refined. And therefore, the, the smoke that was here at this point, meaning the what, what the Torah refers to as Anon, was not a very heavy, thick Ashan. In fact, from afar, perhaps it appeared as if it was just another cloud. It was a mist. It didn't look so heavy because the world was already refined. And that's where Rashi exp- reveals this to us by saying that this was Kimin Ashan. It was a type of 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 uh, of uh, smoke to remind us that this wasn't just any cloud, so to speak, but rather it was a fire that came to consume the Gashmias. It came to finish off the process of refinement of consuming the arrogance and and coarseness of the world. But however, this was far less and far more refined than it was um, by Matan Torah itself, because the world had already began the process of purification, of becoming elevated, of becoming refined. So it wasn't a thick cloud, right? It wasn't so thick. And that's why the Pasuk says, Anon, and that's why Rashi says, Kemin Ashan. And what is the directive for us? There are those who say to themselves, you know, why should I be involved in the lower elements, so to speak, of society, of Yidin? Those who are perhaps parallel to the doymen, to the inanimate, like the stones of the mountain. Those who are parallel to the lowest level where they are so, what seems to be, so devoid of any godly energy, so devoid of any spirituality, that they're almost like stone. They're almost like total, absolute, inanimate objects as far as it comes to spirituality, as far as it comes to godliness. And here comes the lesson. This is where you say to them, no, that you have to, you're compelled to deal with even the doimim, even the inanimate, even, so to speak, the stone. Because you see by Matan Torah, what was the smoke from that Hashem was, was burning? Burning what? There was no vegetation there. There was no higher levels there. He was even, so to speak, uh, focusing his efforts on trying to refine, on bringing a cleansing even to the lowest level, to the stone itself. Of course, you can argue, well, if that's the case, if I'm going to be engaged in that, that might have a negative effect on me. I might adopt to it, to the coarseness, to the arrogance of the world, and God forbid, get swept into it, get pulled down. Here's where the lesson comes. And the second part of Rashi, that he says, no, Hashem makes a special path for you. There's a special protection. That anyway, at the end, the, the end of the, at the end of the day, that is, this is not real smoke. This is not real coarseness. It only seems to be, it only appears to be. The world looks like it's concealing ungodliness. It looks like it has some real coarseness to it. But the truth is, at the end of the day, that is not a true existence. And with minimal effort of God, introducing the godly fire, you can cut right through the smoke, which you find out is not even real smoke, it's like smoke, and it's just like a cloud, and there's really nothing that can obstruct you from being close to Hashem, or obstruct anything from being close to Hashem, and seeing seeing godliness, and being connected to it, it's all an imagination, and it's all just a, 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 an imagined Hester concealment, which with, like I said, minimal effort, you're able to reach the point that once you cut through the smoke, what does the Pasuk conclude with? What does the Parsha conclude with? That by Moshe Bahar, Moshe was in the mountain, Arboim Yem, Arboim Laila, 
40 days and 40 nights, which is the culmination of Matan Torah and the completion of Matan Torah. In other words, through the effort in this, you come to a point where you're able to have Matan Torah in its entirety.